Hello and welcome to Mastermind.fm, the show that focuses on the business side of WordPress. Today we have Mitchell Callahan joining us. He's the co-founder of Soco, a WordPress agency that focuses on WordPress development. Today, however, our topic for discussion is Bitcoin. On Mastermind.fm, rather than stick to WordPress-specific topics, we've decided to mix things around and also cover other topics that interest us as business owners. Bitcoin is definitely something that I've been getting into more and more during the past year or so. James won't be joining us today as he's headed to the beach to chill out and relax before the summer is over. So today it's going to be just myself and Mitchell for some Bitcoin fun. Make sure to hang around till the end as we have another exciting giveaway for you. Before we kick things off, a word from our sponsors. John and I would like to take a moment and thank WP Engine for being the first official sponsor of Mastermind.fm. We're honored to have such a great host investing in this show as well as all of our listeners. As we were discussing this new partnership, the team over at WP Engine provided us with an exclusive offer just for Mastermind.fm listeners. This offer is for four months free when you pay for a year of hosting. To take advantage of this great offer, simply enter the coupon code MASTERMIND at checkout. As someone who runs an e-commerce business, I can't stress enough the importance of having solid hosting, and WP Engine is one of the best. If you haven't settled on a host or you're thinking about making a switch, uh, we hope you'll give WP Engine a try. And send us an email at podcast at mastermind.fm and let us know about your experience with their fantastic service. Without further ado, here's our interview with Bitcoin expert Mitchell Callahan. Hey, Mitchell, welcome to the show. Hey, yo, thanks, Sean. I'm, uh, I'm really happy to be here. Cool. So, so in this episode, we'll be discussing Bitcoin. But first of all, please tell us about your background and how you use Bitcoin in your own WordPress business. Yeah, sure. Um, I'm, I'm really happy to uh, talk about that uh, big, bad, uh, scary Bitcoin. But uh, before I hopped in the WordPress space, I used to work in the uh, financial industry. So uh, I, I really had a lot of time researching markets and uh, the history of money and uh, whatnot and I, and I had this big question and it was just kind of like uh, you know I, I just asked you know where does money come from and uh, no one could really answer that for me but uh, so anyways I left my job in the financial industry we started our uh, WordPress agency uh, SoCal and uh, you know uh, I, I always had a love for finance and so you know over time you know those skill sets and whatnot just kind of integrated itself uh, into our business so we do mostly WooCommerce development but uh, you know, to, to tie Bitcoin in, we uh, we pay all our employees in Bitcoin, and uh, we've also done a bit of development work for some Bitcoin exchanges. Awesome. And for some further context, you're also based in Canada, right? That's right. Yeah, I'm in uh, Toronto, Canada right now, and our and our team is distributed around the world, like many other WordPress companies. Great. So in the previous discussion we were having before we started recording, you were telling me that Automatic was actually one of the first businesses to start accepting Bitcoin. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Uh, really early on, there was some uh, companies that picked it up and uh, Automatic was one of them. So uh, I always thought that was pretty cool. You could uh, get your blog, uh, pay for your blog in uh, Bitcoin. So actually, I, I don't know much about Bitcoin. I've been reading this book, that's Digital Gold, which I know you might not like so much, but <laughs> it just gave me a good introduction about the history of Bitcoin. And I'm looking forward to continue reading that and other resources that will be sure to suggest further on. Please tell us just a bit of history about Bitcoin. Yeah, sure. Um, it's worth noting, uh, I'm probably not, I'm not a big fan of that book, but the title does do it justice. Um, if, if you want to think of Bitcoin as digital gold, that's a very good uh, mindset to have because that's basically what it is. But about the history, um, so Bitcoin, uh, it was first uh, you know, documented in 2008 and released in 2009. It was released by uh, an anonymous uh, guy uh, going by the name of Satoshi Nakamoto. And uh, it was just at the time when we were having the uh, huge financial crisis in the world. And he was just like, hey, you know, like this is ridiculous. So I've come up with this new software. Um, I call it Bitcoin. And, you know, kind of take it, take it for a spin. And, uh, and that's kind of how it all began. And so um, right now, the price of a Bitcoin is, do you have any idea how much it, hit, it is now? I always look at Canadian, uh, but it's, it's hovering around, I think, $550 or $600 US, US dollars right now. It's been pretty flat for the uh, past uh, year or so, but uh, it can get volatile. And so if one had to check, where would they find the prices? Is there some charts? 
our specific website? Yeah, in this case, we would go to uh, a Bitcoin exchange. Uh, that's where majority of people would go to uh, buy and sell Bitcoin. So then it's just uh, the, the price is, is dictated by the last uh, trade that was made. And so there's lots um, in the US, a popular one. I wouldn't recommend using them, but a popular one is called uh, Coinbase. Um, and uh, so you can easily grab the price there. And so going to the practical uses, I know a while back after we met, we had to do a transaction between Sokol and, uh, and our company and you suggested using Bitcoin, right? So that was my first start in the world of Bitcoin. And we used Bitcoin to actually transfer from Canadian dollars to euros. It was really fun for me. The, tra the whole transaction took I believe just a couple of minutes, if I remember well, hours, but I think it was minutes. So that was a huge change from what I was used to dealing with banks. And so perhaps you can expand about the practical way that you use it and what it can be used for in general. Yeah, and, uh, and I think at, after we did that transaction, I, I remember you just saying like, wow, that was, that was easy. <laughs> yeah, I even wrote about it in, in a blog post that I will link up because it was really amazing. That's awesome. Yeah, no, it's glad to hear. And that's the reaction we often get. Most people are kind of intimidated at first. And then uh, once we do the transaction, they're like, well, um, well that was it. Like, <laughs> I was like, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, so yeah, practically, I mean, uh, we kind of mentioned this before, Bitcoin is like a digital gold. So in that sense, most people just use it to uh, have it as a state, uh, safe uh, storage of their wealth. But uh, on, another way that people use it is for international remittance, uh, just because it's so easy to use and it's uh, so quick to send. Um, especially when you're, you're not sending money in your own country, once you're sending internationally, uh, there can be a lot of uh, boundaries and things that get in the way to actually make that happen. So um, in, in the case of our transfer, uh, we are trying all these third party, you know, these, these third parties, um, you know, currency fair and some others, and you have to do all this, um, what's known as AML or KYC, which is know your customer anti-money laundering. And it can be really cumbersome. And, and a lot of the times they won't even support banks. Like I remember trying to sign up for Currency Fair and I think there were some problems integrating with the Canadian bank. Um, so he said, screw this. So we're just going to go with uh, Bitcoin. And uh, so the first thing I got, I got you to do was uh, sign up for an account at a, at a Bitcoin exchange. Uh, so that way you can convert the Bitcoin to your local currency. And you did that at uh, Kraken, I believe, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so we can also link that. Kraken's a, a pretty good exchange. So yeah, so what we would do is uh, we just go to our broker uh, or a Bitcoin exchange. Uh, we just say, okay, we need this value in Canadian dollars. Say it's $2,000. Uh, we get the Bitcoin equivalent. We buy it. And then this is where you, once we have those Bitcoin, that's where you, you, know, you enter the matrix, so to speak. Uh, so Jean, I, I said, okay, I need your uh, Bitcoin public key, which is uh, your public address. And then um, I, sent, I sent the funds to that address. And it only takes, uh, yeah, like you said, it's minutes. It's usually about 10 to 12 minutes because um, I can explain later, but uh, that's uh, when, when the transaction gets picked up and broadcast and confirmed, it takes about 10 minutes. And then, um, yeah, and then you can instantly, we can look online. There's no second guessing. It's like, did it arrive? Like, it, where is it? Like, you know, I, I know you received it 100%. And uh, then it was in your hands and then it was up to you. And so just to maybe repeat what, what you just said, but even maybe to understand it better. In this case, uh, if you were the agency and I was the freelancer, you would, we would have agreed on a fee of 2,000 Canadian dollars. You would have sent me the Bitcoin equivalent of those 2,000. And then once they're in my account, and the exchange, I would just need to basically use that exchange to gather euros in my case. So the exchange would actually transfer euros to my bank account. That's right. Yeah. And so we do that right now with uh, developers in Argentina, Brazil, um, in India, um, Indonesia. Um, so we just made good relationships with the local Bitcoin exchanges and it, we, we settle our payments same day, which is great because traditionally using something like PayPal, um, our, our, our developer in Indonesia, it, 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 it took him, it was about seven to 10 days before he would even get his money. Wow. Right. Okay. So with regards to the volatility, because many people are afraid at the price changes or the value of Bitcoin, how do we, we avoid, you know, these big changes while actually doing a transaction? Yeah. So the, the likelihood of the price, uh, rapidly changing within, you know, that, that 
window of time we're sending it is, is minimal. I mean, it has happened in the past, I, I will tell you that. Um, but for the most part, you're pretty safe. So as long as uh, once you receive the Bitcoins, you immediately sell it, there's going to be little uh, different, like a small differential there. So you'll be okay. But, uh, you know, some of our developers uh, hold on to their coins and it can go either way. So I, I don't give them investment advice, but some of them hold on and they've done really well. And then some of them hold on at the wrong time and they've actually lost some money. So, yeah. So basically, if you're going to be transferring money to me, the best thing to do is just do it when we're both online so i can just uh, do it immediately as i receive the bitcoins if my main aim is just to get the money in my own currency that's right and so we always like to coordinate with uh, make sure we're all online at the same time and uh, yeah we're good to go and so let's talk about maybe some more technical aspects of bitcoin or i mean the first question i think what most people will have is how do bitcoins get created Maybe you can talk about that. Yeah, that's a good question. So it's uh, worth noting, Bitcoin really solves uh, three big issues. Um, the first one being you, ha you, you can't have your transactions blocked. I mean, there are some use cases where that can happen, but you can easily circumvent that. Uh, we can talk about that later. But you, you really have the freedom to send your money anywhere you want. And you don't have those walls, as we mentioned, with uh, sending it to you before. There's also uh, predictable growth. So we know exactly how many Bitcoins there are going to be. Um, in the, in the financial world, we'd call this inflation because banks today, they often uh, make more money to pay their bills. Um, and what that does is it devalues uh, your money. So a good comparison would be, you know, say you own shares in a company. And we hear this all the time in the startup world. But if you have shares in a company and they decide, hey, we're going to make more shares. Unfortunately, what that does is it makes yours uh, worth less. So, so Bitcoin, again, it's got, you can send it anywhere you want. It's got a predictable uh, inflation, so you know exactly how many uh, Bitcoins are going to be available. Uh, and more importantly, it's trustless. So we were talking about uh, currency fare going through these third parties, whereas um, if, if you're in the Bitcoin world uh, only, uh, you, you, there actually is no third party anymore. It's completely been eliminated. So you don't have that, uh, as we, again, in the financial world, we call that counterparty risk. Uh, risk. But uh, you don't have to go through a third party anymore. So it just goes from me to you. But uh, so, those, so those are the three big things. And so to dive deeper a bit, um, some, some good stats to know. Uh, there's only going to be 21 uh, million Bitcoin in total. The rate of growth is, is entirely uh, written in the code. Um, there's about 16 million of them available right now. Um, and that rate of growth, it, it gets cut in half every four years. Um, so the last Bitcoin will be mined, uh, it's tw I can't remember the exact year, but it's about 100 years from now. So that we got about 60 million of them right now. Those are, again, with the current market rates, that gives it about a, a valuation of about 9 billion uh, US dollars. Okay, so as I was reading this book, uh, I learned that actually in the beginning it was easy, very easy to mine Bitcoin. You could do it on a you know, low-power laptop and it gets exponentially harder as more Bitcoins are, are mined. So I'd love to know how it exactly works and how, how does it become more difficult and what, what are the actual PCs or laptops solving to get the Bitcoin? Yeah, so all these, uh, these things, this is called mining. And uh, what they're actually doing is just, they're just hashing um, because they're all trying to find the hash. If, if you guys have ever done password hacking before, um, you're, not, you're just trying to create hashes of all these different word combinations until you find the hash that matches the, the password hash in the, in the database. And, and that's, that's hashing. And that's all Bitcoin miners are doing is they're, they're, they're hashing all the transactions together. And um, there's, a, there's something that's called a nonce, but there's, there's a couple zeros thrown in there. Uh, that's what the code does. And uh, the, the miner to find that hash uh, first is uh, rewarded. But I, I think before I jump into that, I'll, I'll give a really uh, simple explanation. So when you're going to like the ATM uh, today and you want to get some money, like that, that ATM is always on. Like, you know, the banks are maintaining that infrastructure. So when you put your card in, you can pull out cash. And uh, so, so in Bitcoin, Satoshi had this problem where he was like, okay, well, how do I make sure that the Bitcoin network is always turned on? Um, you know, if I if I turn off my laptop, you know, I can't Mitchell can't send his money to Jean. Um, so so what? How, how can we solve that? And so so basically, what he did was he created a system called uh, mining, and, and mining is you know keeping the network alive. They're just like those ATMs in the bank network. They're you know the miners are the ones who actually let the transactions uh, get processed, and you know they make sure it stays on twenty four seven. So you know. If for someone to do that, that's going to take resources and, you know, he had to incentivize it. So every 10 minutes or so, 
you know, there's a block that we call it a block, and this is where you get the term uh, blockchain. But uh, every 10 minutes, there's a new block that's created, and a block is just a, a group of transactions. And the, the the miner who groups all those transactions and and uh, and and keeps, you know, allows that to like happen, uh, he's given a reward. So it's kind of like a lottery. And so you have all these different miners on the network, and they want to win that lottery. So it really incentivizes them to to stay on and get that and so i don't want to dive deep, too deep into mining because again truthfully i came into bitcoin from the economic side and mining is actually the, the the subject that i've been researching most lately because that's that's my weak point but again they're just they're just hashing all these computers are doing is are hashing and it's not the difficulty of mining you were mentioning because people used to do it on laptops before it's not that the uh, the mining automatically gets more difficult it gets more difficult the more people who try to mine. Um, so if there's only one miner, the actual, the difficulty will go way down and it'll be incredibly easy. Um, and that's done on purpose to make sure that the, the speed in which it's done is always predictable. So say for example, Jean, you, you decided to take all your new Bitcoins and you're like, I wanna start mining. And the network gets hit with all this new computing power. That's when the difficulty rate would adjust. And it does that on purpose to ensure that it always grows and, and is completed at a predictable rate. Because if you're hashing much faster than the network requires, the uh, coins will be minted sooner um, and, and it won't go according to plan. So the difficulty actually adjusts depending on how much hashing power is on the network. That's very, very interesting. Uh, before we continue, let's take a short break for our sponsor and we'll be back with you soon. Do you feel like customer support requests never end? Small teams struggling to find the time to innovate for future customers while you're taking care of your current ones? Take a minute to look at WordPress customer support by Influx, and you might finally have the time to get to those other projects you love. Influx provides a complete customer service operation on demand. Have them put together a dedicated team of professionals with a focus on quality service for your WordPress customers and get back to the things you do best. Visit Influx.com today. Welcome back. So we had a great start to this episode. We started to talk about the basics of Bitcoin. We've also discussed some practical uses and we were just talking about mining before the break. So my next question for Mitchell is, how practical is it for the common man in the street, myself in this case, to start mining Bitcoin? Is it something that's profitable or does it make any sense for me? Um, yeah, at this point, like you definitely can't be using uh, a generic laptop and uh, Bitcoin mining has uh, really accelerated the growth of um, new technology that uh, increases hashing power. So most of it's done, uh, truthfully, uh, it's, it's largely concentrated in China. Um, you really need uh, cheap electricity because it's very resource intensive. That's not good for me in Malta, then. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm guessing it would cost you an arm and a leg. So um, you, you really need access to good hardware and you need, um, you need, you need a good power supply. Um, so most of it, again, is, is isolated in China and it's in like major uh, data center type uh, places. All right. And uh, as we're discussing, you were telling me about mining in a deeper detail. Were you going to expand on it or shall we come back to it later? I, I think just to sum up, because I was saying it's kind of like a lot, it's a lottery system. Um, and uh, right now the current uh, reward, it's given about every 10 minutes um, and it's 12 and a half Bitcoins per block. So originally that uh, started off and it was 50 Bitcoins. So you can imagine back then that was pretty good. And every four years that gets cut in half. So this was actually just the other month we had. It, it's, it's pretty big in the community. It's called the having event. And... Uh, that's just when the reward, the block reward goes down. So uh, it was recently just reduced to 12 and a half. And in uh, another four years, that'll get chopped into half again. And so since there's no centralized leader of this whole thing, who decides to half the, the blocks, the, the Bitcoin per block? Yeah, this was all, uh, this is all predetermined and uh, it was written in the original code base. Very interesting. So the code base was written by Satoshi Nakamoto and it continues to evolve even nowadays or has it stopped development? Yeah, that's a, that's a funny subject. The truth be told, this is, this is like a, a debate again, a lot of WordPress people can understand. It's about software, you know, for me, you know, the best software is the software that has the least amount of code. Um, and if it works, you know, why tamper with it? So most, you know, participants in the Bitcoin network, uh, we call this nodes. So it's worth noting that Bitcoin is, uh, it's a decentralized technology. So opposed like banks today, you know, which have large data centers, which are incredibly redundant. Um, Bitcoin is a relatively small client um, that you or I could install. 
and actually support it. So the the size of the um, so running that client is is, is pretty small, and, and the current size of the whole Bitcoin uh, network or the ledger is about uh, just under a hundred gigabytes. It's growing uh, quite a bit, but. Uh, Back to the code, I, I, I use the original code that Satoshi made. There is a place called the Original Bitcoin Foundation and they maintain it. And, and in fact, they've actually been uh, cutting uh, and removing some code, making it even leaner. But there are a lot of participants and, and the majority of what you read about in the media and whatnot is about people who feel that the Bitcoin code needs to be modified and new features need to be added. But truthfully, they, they, they don't because um, most of the stuff that they're trying to add doesn't really... Um, add value in my opinion um, and, and, and it's very insecure untested and again you're increasing your attack surface by having a larger code base so to keep that simple um, to sum up what I just said um, the original client is the best client and that's all you really need and so I haven't mentioned so far I believe that Bitcoin the software itself is actually open source right that's right yeah and in that way it's similar to WordPress that's why you were mentioning the similarities and so so there isn't one leader as we have with matt malinweg and the wordpress community it's all really distributed with no leadership right yeah for the most part the leader is uh, satoshi nakamoto um there there was another group that was formed and all these guys that were around during the early days of satoshi nakamoto basically tried to make like their own version of automatic and they would maintain the code but uh that pretty much fizzled out because uh, it didn't really add, uh, it wasn't very relevant, it didn't add a lot of value. So some people might dispute me here, but if you've been in the space long enough, you kind of know who the power players are. So the kind of the, the, the people I mentioned before, they're called the Real Bitcoin Foundation. They would be the equivalent, I guess, if we had one of Automatic, because they're the ones who are kind of eliminating that code, improving it, and uh, actually, you know, uh, making sure that that network stays alive and is safe and so for example there's the bitcoin.org website i believe right which is the kind of central website of bitcoin or is it really again there's there really is no true uh, owner so they're like sites like that have been around a long time and they are uh, pretty good resources but uh yeah again those anyone could make one of those um so again it's in once you've been in here you kind of know who to trust and who not to trust so I can give you guys some good resources for uh, where to go for that. And so as I try to understand how this all works, so you've got the software, but who has commit access to the software? Oh yeah, so so there is a repo there and uh, this would be, uh, it was called, this was the, okay, so it's funny, I got to clarify, there's the Bitcoin Foundation and then there's the real Bitcoin Foundation, which are two different entities. But um, the Bitcoin Foundation was eventually merged into MIT, the, to the school in the United States, but that was a, headed up by a guy named Gavin Andreessen um, and some other well-known, uh, as they call them, core developers. Yeah, so there is a, a, a Bitcoin repo on uh, GitHub and there are um, you know people who are part of um, the Bitcoin Foundation who have uh, right access. But at the end of the day, it's about consensus. So even if they do uh, make a new commit to the code, um, you don't actually have to run it. So that's why I was talking about, I, I find the original client is the best and there have been a lot of iterations over time, but uh, a lot of them don't actually get leveraged. And so you have the, the client that you install on your, say, laptop or even mobile phones, right? Uh, no. So when you are running that client, you, you technically actually uh, become a node. And so you, you download the whole ledger, uh, the history of Bitcoin, which I mentioned was about uh, just under 100 gigabytes. And, uh, and then you actually help relay transactions in the network and you contribute uh, to, the, to the health of Bitcoin. So yeah, and, and so by, by running those nodes, you actually kind of vote on uh, what version you, you support. And I believe it was a sort of a democratic process where the majority of nodes using a particular software wins, kind of like that. That's right. And then uh, you can have a, kind of a fork. And we've seen this in, uh, in kind of uh, other coins. Uh, where where they adopt a new version and people decide they don't like it. And uh, so you, you actually end up running two chains or two different versions of the software. And so would that be named something else, not Bitcoin, or would it, would it still be within Bitcoin? Um, yeah, so so a good example of this is there's this, because Bitcoin is open source, there are thousands upon thousands of like uh, coins that have, have tried to emulate Bitcoin. But uh, one that's uh, very prominent in the news right now, if you're in the Bitcoin space, and it's called Ethereum. Uh, Ethereum is trying to solve uh, a different problem. It's a problem that I kind of feel is just non-existent, but it's gotten a lot of attention and uh, investment. 
But uh, yeah, they decided that uh, there was a transaction that happened on that on that network, and they decided that they didn't like it. So they said, okay, well, we're going to backtrack and change the software so that this transaction doesn't go through. So they actually wanted to, you know, go against the whole reason why people use Bitcoin, which is, you know, I can move my money where I want. And you can't, you know, change this. Um, but they decided, you know, they, this this was more of a traditional institution. They had like a governance board of governance, and they said, we're gonna, we don't want this transaction to go through, so we're gonna update the the code. And they did. So they updated the code. Uh, the miners and and the nodes all updated it too. But uh, a bunch of people decided that uh, we don't want to run this version because this goes against everything we believe in. Uh, so now we actually have a fork. So we have the new Ethereum, and then we have what's called now Ethereum Classic. And uh, Ethereum Classic uh, is actually, uh, you know, there's a lot more volume on the exchanges. Um, more people are trading that one, and, and uh, more people are starting to run it. So it's it was kind of, it, it's, it's really interesting to watch it right now. And this is uh, kind of really what's happening in the space. Uh, and it's, it's, it's a lot of drama and it's a lot of fun, but uh, it, it kind of gives us, uh, you know, a taste of what could, could possibly happen in Bitcoin. But uh, Bitcoin just keeps trucking along doing its thing. Cryptocurrency drama then. Yeah, yeah, definitely. To the <laughs> max. And, and there is a lot of it. <laughs> so it's not just a word for thing. Yeah, that's right. For sure. And so you were speaking about some of the philosophical background of why Bitcoin was created. And maybe we can talk about why Bitcoin actually matters and what are the foundations it was built on in terms of the, the, the thinking behind it. Yeah, again, it was just during the time during the financial crisis. So these, you guys can imagine like... Um, a lot of people, you know, lost their homes and, you know, markets collapsed. And, you know, a lot of it was just because of financial mismanagement and, you know, making, uh, you know, too much money and not controlling where it can go. So ultimately they were like, okay, you know, and, and Satoshi came out with this. And, and so fundamentally it's, it's those, those kind of those pillars I mentioned before, the ability to send money where you want, uh, when you want. Um, we know you're not going to just create more money. Uh, which is going to, you know, dilute the value of the, the existing money I had. Um, and it's trustless because, you know, um, a fundamental difference between Bitcoin and, and, and the current system, it's, it's the matter of permission um, because you don't need permission to, to start trading in Bitcoin. You just hop on the network and you can do it. Whereas I, I was telling you this story, Jean, like we have this network, uh, this system in, in North America, it's called ACH. Yeah, it's, it's just this really... It's a simple system, so you, well, I wouldn't call it simple, but you can send money from one bank account to another. And I was signing up for it, and I have it, I, I, I can do ACH for Canadian funds, but I was like, okay, well, if I want to do ACH transactions to America, um, you know, what's that process like? And they were like, well, um, you have to submit a nine-page application. Um, it gets sent to uh, this headquarters in New York. Um, they're going to review your application. You have to kind of tell us um, who you're going to um, be sending money to, um, why you're sending the money, um, and kind of how frequent and how big the transactions are going to be. And then it basically goes to a board, and we're going to decide um, if you can access this network or not. And, uh, and, and, if, and if you can access it, awesome. And if we decide you can't, the, the decision is permanent. So good luck. And, and, and so it's kind of like, wow, like, Banks, you know, back in the day, banks were really used as, as one reason only. Um, it, was a, it was a way to store your wealth because, you know, storing gold um, was kind of tedious. If you got robbed, you know, it was, it was hard. So banks specialized in keeping your, your money secure, and that's, that's all they were for. Whereas banks have evolved into this whole new thing where it's, you know, it's not only storing your money, but they're ultimately deciding where you can send it and what you can uh, use it for. A lot of people won't really feel that friction when they're just dealing within their own country. But uh, once you start getting into international remittance, you really feel that pinch. So Bitcoin is just permissionless. You can hop on, you can get Bitcoin, and you can do whatever the heck you want. Yeah, I think as we go forward, I think the issue with banks is getting bigger and bigger as they try to control every aspect of our money transactions. I recently was involved in the opening of a company, and as you were saying, even opening a simple company was so involved so much paperwork and verifications and yeah i get i get the idea behind it all but to a certain extent uh, it's it's a bit very discouraging for business as well to have to pass through all these hoops to do something simple such as paying your employees you know why why does it have to be so difficult especially as you said when we go and hire employees abroad you know it's so difficult and 
prohibiting the progress of work in actual ways. And so one question I wanted to ask is, since Bitcoin has to eventually, if we extract money into euros or USD, were there any cases where the banks refused to accept the money from the exchange, say? Yeah, that's actually a great question. Um, early on, uh, I had a lot of friends who had their bank accounts shut down and a lot of, uh, if they, because if they were found out to be trading in Bitcoin. And then a lot of the Bitcoin exchanges actually had a really hard time making uh, banking relationships. And uh, so it was really just a good demonstration of this. That's kind of like the bridge, right? That was the bridge from uh, what we call the fiat world, um, which is what you call currency today, uh, fiat to Bitcoin. And that's where there was a lot of friction. And um, so now most of the Bitcoin exchanges that are popular are all like, you know, VC funded or whatnot. And uh, they, they have like pretty powerful people behind them. So they have stable banking relationships at this point. But yeah, it, it was really hard back then. It's, it's a lot easier now than it uh, used to be. And so if I had to compare, say, Bitcoin to PayPal as two very good ways of transferring money abroad to your customers or, or your freelancers or whatever, what are the main differences you see? Yeah, so again, it's worth noting that Bitcoin is always going to take a, like a technical level of expertise. Uh, so if you're just like a regular guy, you're, I, I don't even say regular, but you, you don't need anything too complex. Like, I mean, PayPal will often work for you. Um, once you start sending it into like markets that aren't, you know, the major Western countries, you'll, you'll get a bit of friction. But again, PayPal is, is very much just an online version of what the existing banks are, right? Like it's a third party, they hold the funds for you, and they ultimately decide whether or not you can send them. Whereas Bitcoin, it's, it's an entirely new paradigm where you hold the funds and, and, and PayPal's just gone. They don't, they don't even exist anymore. I'm sending it from, from me to you. Well, that's very, very interesting so far. And as we head into the final part of the episode, let's take another break for our sponsor and we'll be back with you soon. We'd like to take a moment to draw your attention to a new host in town, Prest Managed WordPress Hosting. Prest offers all the benefits and performance of a managed WordPress host running on Amazon Web Services with some compelling additional features for those of you doing work for clients. Prest is a white label service that lets you create your own brand and bundle hosting into the services you already provide. The best part is that they handle all the hard stuff like billing, customer support, and server maintenance. Put together pre-configured plugin and theme packages for your clients' needs and build a recurring revenue stream as a Prest partner. Check them out over at Prest.net and turn the hosting over to them so you can focus on a great client experience complete with hosting. So welcome back. I'm going to start with a curiosity I had. So these people who are in Bitcoin in the very initial stages, are they millionaires now <laughs> or what, what happened to them? Yeah, you've got a mixture. Um, you've got some guys that were really bright. They got their Bitcoins early on and uh, they still they, they managed to hold on to them and they've done very well for themselves. Whereas on the flip side, you have a, all these, I, I guess we kind of call them like the first generation, like Bitcoiners, some of the guys who were there early on. And unfortunately, a vast majority of people have swindled their money and they don't have anything left. <laughs> <laughs> and so we've been talking about different uses of bitcoin and perhaps we haven't really spoken about uh, bitcoin as an investment mechanism so just storing bitcoin and you know even long-term storage of bitcoin in the hopes of making good returns what are your thoughts about that yeah for me it's it's really important uh, again i kind of see it as that digital gold it's it's that one uh, safe haven that I know how it works. I know I can trust it. Uh, again, I, I've been researching uh, the history of money for a long time. I, again, this whole journey started when I simply asked myself, like, where does money come from? And I was chatting with like former politicians, bankers, and like no one could answer that question honestly. It, it was insane. Like I, I couldn't believe it. So I, I've researched the history enough. It, it makes sense to me, and that's why when I met Bitcoin, it just made perfect logical sense. Like it was the next logical step uh, for this for this uh, financial system um, so I, I in my opinion I, it's here to stay and uh, it, it is something that you should have I'm not going to say like put your whole I know some people will put everything they owned into Bitcoin and they and in fact some of them have done well but you know just get your feet wet like I would grab a couple if you could while we talk about this topic why would people put their money into Bitcoin and not other cryptocurrencies yeah, so other cryptocurrencies, I mean, they don't actually offer any value on top of what Bitcoin can already do for you. Um, they're, they're clones of Bitcoin, so it's kind of like, 
you want to get the real deal and Bitcoin is that and, and it's more just the network effect, right? So Bitcoin has that substantial mining network. It's got that hash rate that's really powerful. A lot of the other uh, cryptocurrencies, as people call them, they, uh, they really just fizzle out. Um, they're really prone to hacking because someone can uh, overtake the network. We didn't really talk about that, but since there's just not a lot of computing power behind it, uh, they're, they're not very secure. Um, so I, I, I wouldn't even waste your time. Right, and as you mentioned, security got a few questions about that. So once you own Bitcoin, where do you actually keep that and how do you keep it safe? Yeah, so anybody in the space, which I'm sure there's plenty, uh, is familiar with uh, public uh, key cryptography. You know, that's really all it boils down to in uh, Bitcoin. Um, you know, you just got it. It's the security of your private keys. So there are some third party services you can use. But at the end of the day, the Bitcoin network is actually very, very simple. And often uh, people kind of, you know, forget that. Um, to create a public key pair, you, you, you can download, a, you know, you can go to a website, bidaddress.org. Uh, what I do is I, I, I'll post a resource how to create a, a good paper wallet, but I just download this website onto a USB key. I plug it into an offline computer. I generate a Bitcoin address and I print it out on a piece of paper. I laminate it and that's my wallet. And you know, the key itself, like I actually cut it up into pieces. So if you, if you were to find it, you wouldn't know the whole key. But that's it. It's, it's really as easy as printing off a piece of paper, um, sending your Bitcoins to that address and uh, keeping, keeping that safe. Um, the, the security of your keys is of like utmost importance in Bitcoin. Right. So should we be talking about not keeping the address in one place? So the, so the, the coins go into this address, right? This wallet. That's right. Um, wallet. So wallet is, is all that really means is it's a, a public private key pair that you control. And the, the coins are, are, are assigned to, to that key pair. And so all you have to do is ensure that that key pair is safe. And so the way I do that again is it's called a, a paper wallet. I print it out and uh, send it to, the, to, uh, to that address and I keep that safe. I um, mean, I'll provide you a great resource. I have a good how-to on, so this is generally where I send people to. I get a lot of people here in the financial world. They're like, hey, I wanna get Bitcoin. So I send them to a place where to buy the Bitcoin and then I send them this resource on, you know, uh, how to how to keep them safe after excellent so so these apps for example that we can download on our phones these wallet apps how do those function yeah so i wouldn't those those are those can be very useful i wouldn't put like the majority of your bitcoin in there um we we have in bitcoin what's called a cold wallet and a hot wallet a cold wallet would be something that's never uh touched the internet um, it's kind of like me taking my computer offline printing that piece of paper a hot wallet is something that you know is, is actively connected to the internet um, and you can transact with it. So you know, often what people do is they'll, they'll keep most of their Bitcoins in cold storage and then they can download an app on their phone uh, where they'll keep a bit of Bitcoins in there. But again, your phone is, is, is subject to, uh, you know, there's hacking and whatnot. And so that's why I don't say put a whole bunch in there. And so basically, if somebody steals your phone, they have access to your Bitcoin. Depending on the security level on the app, like some of them will have uh, passwords. Like Touch ID, okay. Yeah, exactly. Which which will you know de defer them for sure, but uh, depends on the level of vulnerability on your phone or access that they have. And so, speaking of which, how how does Bitcoin get used in in the real world to buy stuff? Like, if are there any stores which accept Bitcoin? and the real physical world or so how does that work how does one go to say a restaurant and pay with bitcoin yeah so it's worth noting like uh, we mentioned this early in the chat like bitcoin is more think of digital gold right so gold is more of like your store of wealth so I, it's not to be confused as something that you'll do for like day-to-day -day transactions and because the bitcoin network can only handle so many transactions this is actually if you jump to the space this is one of the ongoing debates like we need to make bitcoin scalable um, but ultimately making it more scalable as they explained is going to make it more insecure but um, there's only so many all you need to remember is there's only so many transactions that can occur on this network um, so we would, if, if you wanted to use it for day-to-day -day transactions instead of buying a coffee which is the common example people use you would use it to buy like you know, a gift card which can buy a hundred coffees, because um, you don't want to. You it eventually you, you won't be able to do a lot of uh, small transactions. There just won't be any space on the network for that. Um, but practically speaking, I mean, there are plenty of places that take Bitcoin. For the listeners out there, um, you know, there's BitPay. Go check them out. They're a, a, like a Bitcoin payment processor, so to speak. But uh, like Expedia.com, um, you know, you can book a flight with Bitcoin. 
Um, there's some other big guys, like I think Wikipedia takes Bitcoin, and there's some other, like Microsoft takes Bitcoin for on the Xbox platforms. Uh, so there are plenty of places that will accept it. Early on, it was a lot of hosting companies, domain name registrars like Namecheap. Um, but there, there, there's a pretty exhaustive list of people who will take it. And more often than not, if it's a pretty tech-savvy company, um, if you say, hey, bud, can I play with Bitcoin? Chances are they're going to be like, hell yeah. Like, we will take that any day. And you'll probably even get a discount because the guys who know Bitcoin want to get Bitcoin. Um, so if, if there's ever an opportunity to get it, they'll take it. Nice. So you would recommend, say, plugin developers or plugin sellers in the WordPress space to implement Bitcoin payment facilities using BitPay, right? Uh, yeah, BitPay is not a bad option for sure. So there's, I guess, integration with WooCommerce with easy digital downloads. Uh, yeah, last time I checked, they did have a WooCommerce plugin. Um, I'm not sure about EDD, but uh, th there are a couple options out there for sure. And so one curiosity I had. So you mentioned that you would reserve Bitcoin for bigger payments, right? And so I was reading in a book, as I said, I was still in the earlier pages, but one of the advantages mentioned was that you would be able to use uh, Bitcoin for micropayments. Is that still the case or has it changed? No, that's a misconception. Um, I think that was kind of like the whole, for lack of a better term, I don't know, it was like the whole, I, I, I'm partially hippie, I'm an outdoors guy, but it was just like this whole hippie thing movement where it's like, oh man, you know, it's going to serve the the greater world or some crap. But as I said, it's there's only so much space on that network. And truthfully, Bitcoin is there not to uh, help, you know, accessibility. Bitcoin is there to actually ensure that you stay rich. Like, and I don't mean stay rich, but it's there to ensure that your money actually stays valuable and, and only available to you. Uh, it's not so much a network for microtransactions and whatnot. And, that, and if that's what something is someone is looking for, that's where kind of like one of those alternative cryptocurrencies could maybe be useful. But uh, Bitcoin, no, it's it's not very good for micropayments, especially since we're breaching the network capacity. Uh, there is a market developing for network fees, so or transaction fees. So um, sending a microtransaction just wouldn't make any any sense. All right. So you explained that uh, we're reaching the network limit, kind of. So what does that really mean in simpler terms? Yeah. So remember, I was mentioning before that we have uh, blocks mm -hmm. in Bitcoin. Yeah. And so every 10 minutes, there's about a block, and that's what the miner will mine, and he'll get his reward. The block can only be one megabyte in size. So if if you, I can't remember the exact amount of transactions. It'll vary uh, depending on the amount of data um, in the transaction. But you can only have as much transactions that can fit into a one megabyte file. So the second that you you get close to that, um, you won't actually get included in the block, and therefore your transaction won't be sent. So there are ways around that. You can actually um, increase your transaction fee um, because the miners will say, hey, this guy's willing to pay more to get on this block. I'm going to include it for sure. So you can pay a higher transaction fee or you, if, if you're actually moving a large sum of Bitcoin, the network actually won't charge you any transaction fees. It's just kind of how it's baked in. It, it, the higher transactions are given higher priority over the small transactions. And who's charging the transaction fees in this case? Uh, well, it's voluntary. You can decide to include one. Uh, you don't have to, uh, but uh, the, if you if you do, um, your chances of being included in the block is much higher. So does this is this something that the normal person has to worry about, or are we talking about specific sums of money? Yeah, if you're using like a third-party wallet, like say you have an iPhone app, um, most of those kind of bake it in. So when you actually try and withdraw, say one Bitcoin, you'll realize that the receiver address only received you know point uh, nine uh, nine nine five of a Bitcoin. Uh, because there was a small amount that was actually awarded to the miner for processing that transaction. And so if you had to send me Bitcoin, this would be taken care of by the app that we use, right? That's correct, yeah. And so um, let's talk about that. If I had to send you Bitcoin as a personal, just a gift, for example, would I do that via my phone, via software on my laptop? How does that work? Yeah, so you can download the original Bitcoin client, which always is, is stable, works, trustworthy. Um, or if you know you're in an exchange or you have a third-party wallet, they have, all have deposit and withdrawal options. And so all you need to know is the person's public key, and you can just enter that in and how much you want to send, and then boom, it gets uh, broadcasted to the network, and the miners hurry to include that in the block so that they can get that sweet, sweet uh, reward. And so we've been talking about Bitcoin as a storage of wealth, right? Let's talk about that. How does the how do the governments treat Bitcoin nowadays? I know that it was really unsure in the earlier days how Bitcoin would be treated, whether it would be treated as a, 
a, a currency or maybe some other type of assets. So what's the status right now? Yeah, the legal definition has varied so much. Um, at the end of the day, I believe in Canada, it was, it was classified as a commodity, uh, very similar to gold. Um, and, and people are very hesitant to uh, consider it a currency because then that just gives it an entirely different legal status. Um, so it's, it's often treated as a commodity and it's still a very uh, legally in terms of, you know, the legal system we have today is still very much like a gray status. Um, the, most countries are, you're not going to get in trouble or anything for using Bitcoin. The, the only place where uh, you might is, uh, is Russia. Uh, Russia has uh, taken a very strong approach against Bitcoin. So actually we do have a, a Russian uh, girl on our team uh, and we opt to not pay her with Bitcoin. Uh, for that one reason, um, but uh, they, they, they did announce recently that they want to kind of ease up on that because uh, banks are trying to find ways to leverage this technology to their advantage. And so since we talked about Bitcoin being immune to government intervention, how would in this case Russia be influencing Bitcoin? Yeah, it's just the, it's, it's the off ramps. So we talked about those ways to get in and out of uh, Bitcoin. It's those off ramps. So it's very hard to find an exchange in Russia, or if you're actually a broker who's dealing with Bitcoin, uh, you can get uh, you can get in big trouble. So that, that's why if we were to send Bitcoin to our, our uh, Russian teammates, um, she would have a hard time, you know, converting it to rubles or euros or what have you. Right. Okay. Well, that was very very interesting, Mitchell. I don't know if you have something else to add. I've exhausted all my questions. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure our listeners will have some other questions, which they are welcome to post in the comments. And um, do you have anything to add from your end? Yeah, I mean, uh, our Bitcoin is a is a rabbit hole. So, uh, you know, it's it's going to entice you at the top. And then once you get in, you realize it just goes deeper and deeper and deeper and just just keeps going. But uh, it's, it's really uh, valuable. And if you're invested in, um, you know, learning how monetary infrastructure works, um, it's, it's really good to know because it's um, it's really, um, you know, it's, it's caught a lot of banks and governments off guard. You know, and it shouldn't. If, if that's your space, you should you should know this. But, uh, you know, I, I just a lot of them got really comfortable and it's a bit over a lot of people's heads. But uh, nonetheless, I think it's really good for you, for you to know, especially, you know, all, all of these the, your listeners on your show are very Internet uh, focused people. Um, so it's a very good, easy currency to use. It's very safe, uh, technologically speaking. And uh, my, my biggest advice is just, you know, avoid all the fluff out there. Uh, stick to the basics. I'll provide some resources on really how to store your Bitcoin properly. And um, yeah, you know, it just just sit back and watch too. You know, it's uh, it's a dramatic space. It's a really fun space to be in, um, and it's going to have some serious effects on um, you know the way society works. You know, you might not be hearing about it in the news today, but uh, it's still there. It's always been there. It keeps being there, and it just gets bigger and better. Um, the the power of that Bitcoin network is immense. That is, I today, I mean. The biggest, uh, you know, if you want to call it it, supercomputer on the planet. So that's really something to you can't ignore. That's really amazing. I've also uh, heard that uh, Bitcoin is the next big thing after the internet itself because it's changing the way we actually transfer value from one person to another, etc. So it's really a huge thing. So Mitchell, thank you very much for explaining how this Bitcoin world works. I know I've found it really interesting. And I hope our listeners have found it the same way. Awesome. Yeah, Jean, thanks for having me on. And uh, I'll, again, I'll, I'll give you some awesome resources. And if anyone has any questions, just feel free to reach out. Yeah, where can they find you? Where can they find you online? Oh, yeah, you can find us, uh, you know, the company SoCal.com. Uh, it's S-A-U-C-A-L. Or you can just hit me up on Twitter. Uh, Twitter is kind of where I keep my, uh, my, uh, my Bitcoin feed. So if you find me at Y-K-C-A-L-L-Y, uh, -Y that's where I... Uh, that's where I, um, you know, really tweet about my Bitcoin related things. Awesome. Thank you again, Mitchell. Oh, thank you, buddy, man. Keep uh, crushing these uh, killer podcasts, man. I, uh, they're super invaluable. And uh, I, whenever I travel, man, this is, I'm, I'm like, all right, get through a podcast today. And uh, it keeps filling me with uh, good, useful knowledge. That's awesome. Thanks. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. So thank you very much, Mitchell, for all this information you've shared with us about Bitcoin. As promised, here's today's giveaway. 
we're really excited to announce another giveaway for three lucky listeners of Mastermind.fm. Now, this one comes from the great folks over at CyberChimps. They are offering a one-year free access to the CyberChimps Club to three listeners of Mastermind.fm. If you'd like information about what's in the package, it, you can find it at CyberChimps.com club. That's CyberChimps.com club. But what's included is over 30 themes, several plugins, including some of the really popular ones you may have even seen or heard about called Responsive Pro or iFeature Pro or Parallax Pro. These are some awesome products. And if you've ever been on the fence of whether or not you should add CyberChimps to your perhaps your portfolio of, of products that you use when building sites for clients or using even on your own sites, this is a great opportunity for three listeners to get a chance to try this product for an entire year. Now what's included? over 30 themes, several plugins, uh, new releases as well for, for that year, access to downloads and updates and support for as long as you're an active club member. You also will get exclusive bonus of one month plus support and stock images. Uh, so we're really excited about it. So here's how you enter to win. All you have to do is find this post or this particular episode on mastermind.fm and leave a comment. That's it. And you're going to win this. Now, they price this at $97 is what they offer it on their site, but it is worth far more than that. So if you kick the opportunity of getting this for free, you have just gotten an awesome service for an entire year to try it out and, and to test their themes. It's a really exciting giveaway. We're so excited that they've partnered with us to offer this to our listeners. So all you have to do is leave a comment. We'll pick three comments uh, out of the out of everyone who comments. We're just going to do a kind of a, a blind draw of three comments, and then we'll reach out out to you and we'll uh, announce winners in a previous episode but here's your opportunity go ahead and find this episode on mastermind.fm leave us a, a comment ask a question to, to the folk great folks over at cyberchimps ask a question to jean and myself uh, we would love to hear uh, you know hear any inquiries that you might have but it's just a great way to engage with us on the site as well as enter the win this great opportunity uh, to be a club member with cyberchimps for a year so on behalf of all of the listeners of mastermind.fm i want to just say a huge thank you to CyberChimps for offering this giveaway, and we look forward to announcing winners in a future episode. As you might have suspected, in the beginning of the show, I lied about James' reason for not being here. He is not at the beach, but he is working on the release of Ninja Forms, which is due any day soon. So keep your eyes peeled for this new version of Ninja Forms, because it's going to be just awesome. To wrap things up, as usual, you can find us at Jean Galea on Twitter and also at James Laws. You can also find us on uh, our personal websites, JeanGalea.com and JamesLaws.com. And if you have any questions, please send them over, as usual, to podcast at mastermind.fm. We highly appreciate the five-star reviews on iTunes. And in general, just let us know how we're doing and what you'd like to hear about in the future, in future episodes, what kind of topics you'd like us to discuss, and so on and so forth. So that's all from us for today. We'll see you in the next episode. Have a great rest of the week. Bye.